Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, we're going to finish out the chapter this morning, beginning in verse 17. We'll work our way all the way down through verse 27. As you're finding your place in God's word, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream, week in and week out. So many folks join up with us in that way. We're grateful for every one of you. I also want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall. It was great to preach live in that room last week and to live stream it back to this room. And I want to thank those of you in this room for being gracious to allow me to do that. It's a special privilege. Uh, in the not-too-distant future, uh, I'll be live at Reach Church DeSoto and then be live streaming that, that message back here. So we'll all be uh, looking to the Word of God together at the same time. I'll just be in a little different location and uh, again, I want to thank you for the ability to do that because it allows me to, to be in front of all of our folks. Um, it's, a, it's a new day when, when I'm preaching and it's being streamed out to other locations, um, but I have a desire to pastor all of God's people and to be in front of them and to get to know them, and so technology allows me to do that. Um, but I want to thank you because it's a little different for all of us, myself included, but thank you for being flexible with that and uh, allowing me to do that. I'm so grateful that all of you are here and Reach Church DeSoto joining us as well. Um, before we get started here, uh, last night, I, well actually last Sunday in this second service, you may have heard it as I was preaching last Sunday in the 11 o'clock hour, I started to lose my voice. I've never lost my voice before. And so Monday morning, I, I didn't have much of a voice. And Tuesday, not much better. And gradually it's gotten a little better, but I ain't full strength. Uh, I've made it through two services already, so I'm going to try to get through one more. I told last night, Saturday night, I said, I'm going to try to dial it back a little bit, uh, not, not be, uh, you know, I, I tell the services, I, 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 I'm not wanting to be a yelling preacher, all right? That's not, <laughs> that's not what I want to be, uh, but I'm passionate. You guys know that. Um, you can ask my family, though. I, I, I struggle with this. If I'm passionate about something, I get loud. And uh, sometimes it seems like I'm yelling. I'm not intending to yell. I'm just really passionate about it. Um, and I have to remember, too, that just because you speak louder doesn't make the points more effective. <laughs> it, that doesn't work that way. Uh, so, uh, but this is the last one of the weekend, so I can just throw it all out there, right? We can just go to the end and run to the tape, and hopefully we get, get through it all together. But I want to thank you as well for being gracious to me. My voice isn't completely there, but we're going to give it the best we got this morning. Well, we come to 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, just to kind of bring us up to speed for those of you that may be jumping in right here with us. Um, the nation has asked for a king. Um, Samuel is getting old. His sons are not following in his path. But there's also a hidden agenda. They want a king they can see with their eyes. I think to some extent, there's some of the nation that doesn't really want God to be their king anymore. They want to be freed from the uh, the restrictions of God's love and his law, and they want to be autonomous to some extent, and so maybe we get a leader like us uh, that we can see and we'll get, gain some greater freedom, and so they, uh, they want a king. Uh, they want an earthly king, and God is going to grant their request. Uh, Samuel sends them home, and it looks like nothing's happening, but behind the scenes as we've been studying, God is at work, and he's orchestrating uh, the life of a man named Saul, son of Kish, and he directs his path through some lost donkeys to meet up with a man named Samuel, Samuel, who's the man of God. 
God told Samuel he was going to do this in advance so that we would know that it's his hand that's moving and orchestrating all the events. And uh, they met up together. Uh, They've offered sacrifice unto the Lord. They've shared a meal. Uh, And then you'll remember that next morning they got up. And as they're leaving, uh, just right there, Samuel, Saul, and the Lord. Uh, Samuel anoints Saul as the first king over Israel. Just a private anointing that God is setting him apart. And you'll remember that God gave uh, Saul three affirming signs, miracles, that this is God's hand. God is doing this. He wants, he wants Saul to know, uh, to have no doubt about this, that God's hand is upon you. You're anointed as king. And words beginning to spread because Saul, you remember that final sign as he began to prophesy. And Saul wasn't known as a guy who hung out at church or prayed or read the word. And now he's prophesying. It was strange. And his uncle even asked him what's going on here. But Saul didn't tell him about uh, the king. It would have been awkward, don't you think, if his uncle had said to him, what did he tell you? Well, he told me I'm going to be king. Uh, that probably would have been a little odd, a little different. So he keeps that quiet. But what was private, what has uh, only been known to Samuel and to Saul and to the Lord, uh, very quickly is going to be, be public. In these last verses here, we're going to see the public coronation of Israel's first king. So let's read these verses together. And we'll pray and work our way through them. Look with me at verse 17. It says, Therefore Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said no, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its family, and the Matrite family was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, behold, he's hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there's no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away each one to his house. Saul also went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But certain worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present, but he kept silent. Father, as we come before your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, as we pause here, We calm our hearts. We ask that you would protect us from anything that would distract us from just focusing on your word. And God, I pray that in these moments, as we read and study your word, you would would speak to us and you would change us. That God, you would renew our minds by your word today. You would help us to to recalibrate our lives today 
by the plumb line of your word. God, we want to glorify you in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our community. And we need to hear your voice. And so, God, I pray that you would change us, you would mold us. And if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, God, draw them. Pray that you would open their eyes to see the beauty of King Jesus who laid down his life for their salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you see here in verse 17, Samuel begins to call the people together at Mizpah. They gathered previously at Mizpah. You'll remember when they committed themselves unto the Lord after they had lost the ark of God. And here, Samuel gathers them again. And before he goes any further, he reports to them that God has something to say to you. God has something he wants to say. And Samuel recounts to them God's faithfulness to the nation, that God has never let them down, that God has always been faithful. God is the one who delivered them from the Egyptians. An amazing story. God delivered them. He brought them out from Egypt. You remember, he not only brought them out, but he brought them out without firing a shot, and he got all the Egyptians to contribute to the Exodus Fund. It was amazing. In fact, the whole reason that Israel existed is because of God. They would have no existence apart from him. God brought them up and God delivered them, not just from the Egyptians who were the most powerful nation in, in the world at that time. He had delivered them from the Egyptians. But on every occasion, if you read Joshua and Judges, you see how God would deliver them from the Moabites and the Midianites and the Hittites and, and the Philistines. God was always faithful. Now, the, the, the nation wasn't always faithful, but God was. The, the nation, they often fell uh, and failed God in miserably, but God had never failed them. In fact, when you read it that way, you understand, you, here's the nation, they're rejecting God. It should have been God rejecting them. It should have been God saying, I think I want another nation. And instead the nation saying, we want another God. We want another king. And so God says to them, before we go any further, let me get this straight. Just so we're all perfectly clear, I've never let you down. I've never failed you. The nation had its ups and downs. You read it in the book of Judges. They had their ups and downs. But their ups and downs were not a product of God's faithfulness. It was their unfaithfulness that created the ups and downs. And isn't it good for us often in our lives, especially when we face circumstances and situations that, that seem troubling, isn't it good for us to recount God's faithfulness? To look back over our lives and, and, and to be reminded, especially when we look at the future and especially as we find ourselves in situations that we have, maybe we're anxious about or we don't know what's gonna happen or we don't know what's going, uh, how God's gonna move in this situation, is it good for us to, to look back and see how God has never let us down? God's got a pretty good track record of faithfulness. And the only issue has ever been not his faithfulness, the issue has always been our faithfulness. Will we be faithful to him? If there's one thing that the nation's got to learn is the only thing that they really have need to fear is being unfaithful to God. So in this way, they're rejecting God. It was never enough. All that God did for them, it was, it was never enough. God had blessed them abundantly. It was never enough. Now, now we want a God that we can 
see with our eyes. We, we want a king. We want a king like the nations. And it's interesting because I think that the nation, they thought, well, if we get a king like the nations, if we have a king we can see with our eyes, maybe it would go better with us. Maybe we wouldn't have so much inconsistency. Maybe if we had a king we could see and, and, and a king like the nations, maybe, maybe we'd have a little better economy and maybe militaristically we'd do a little better. And certainly they were probably thinking that if we have a king like the nations, maybe we wouldn't have much, as much trouble with all these nations that seem to hate us so much. And the fact of the matter is the reason that Israel had so much tension with the surrounding nations was because they were the people of God. In fact, even to this day, you, you look at the Middle East and you kind of scratch your head and say, why in the world does, does this little nation right here, this little bitty plot of ground, why does it seem that everybody doesn't like them? Can I tell you why they don't like them? Because they're the people of God. Same reason the world doesn't like us. The world doesn't like God, doesn't like God's people, whether you're talking about Israel or the church. And they were probably thinking if we, we become a little bit more like the nations around us, maybe, maybe we'd get along with them a little better. And the fact is that probably would have been true. You become more like the world, you'll probably get along with the world. But here's the problem with that. The more you become a friend with the world, the more you become an enemy of God. James says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And see, if we're not careful, even us as God's people, we'll, we'll lose some of our distinctiveness. It's a lot easier just to float downstream with everybody else, isn't it? It's a lot more difficult to stand firm as God's distinctive peace people. And when we do so, oftentimes we pay, face persecution. And you can eliminate that just by becoming like the world. The problem with that is then you make an enemy with God and you gotta face his eternal wrath. You know, the choice is ours every day. It was the choice of the nation of Israel. We can go all in with God. I'm all in with you. You're my king. I'm gonna live like you tell me to live. And it probably is gonna mean you're gonna have persecution in the world. <laughs> the, the, the scripture tells us all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You live like God if you're distinctive as his people in this world. You will face persecution, but you'll know the favor of God and his protection, and he'll be with you. And so as I say, I think we just go all in with God, strap in and take it from the world and know that in the end we're gonna win, amen? For the nation of Israel, we want to become more like the world, take some of the heat off the world of us. I think also that's not that they were just outright rejecting God. In their minds, they, they would have never, I don't think they would have ever said it this way. It's not that we're rejecting God. I think if they could have, they would have told God, God hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not, we're not rejecting you. We just want to, we want you and the king. And there's a problem with that. And I think we need to see this this morning. Because God says, whenever you add anything to me as a prerequisite for your contentment, for your salvation, you're not just adding to me, you're rejecting me. Do you understand this this morning? God is a really jealous God. And he's not jealous because he wants to be mean to you. He's jealous because if you put your hope and trust and faith in anything other than him, it will always let you down. God desires a people who will trust in him alone. See, the issue wasn't whether or not they have a king or don't have a king. The issue was would they be content with just having God? 
And it's the same issue for us. So many times in our lives, we, God, we love you. It's great following you. Good to have some eternal life insurance. But, but I also need to have this. That if I'm going to be really happy, I need to have this. Whatever this might be for you. Listen to me this morning. If your contentment, if your peace and your fulfillment is based on adding anything to God, you've not just added to God, you've rejected God. We need to see it as God sees it. The eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Do you know who God longs to support? People who will completely trust in him. And so... In this way, this nation was rejecting God. And so Samuel gathers them there. Look with me at the latter portion of verse 19. He says, but you have rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses, yet you have said no, but set a king over us. I think this is just me. You know, I like to kind of put myself in the story I always, I, I, I think it's helpful to me. Sometimes it's a little dangerous, but I like to picture it in my mind. And I'm picturing Samuel before the people, they're all gathered up. May not be all the people, but the heads of the nation. They're all get, gathered there, the heads of the families and the heads of the tribes, and they're all gathered there. And, and Samuel says, before we go any further, you need to know this, God's never let you down. He's always been faithful. He's always been perfect. He's always delivered you. He's always brought you up. He's always taken care of you. And you rejected him. And then I think he just paused. You ever been in trouble with your parents? And they sit down and said, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. And then they just, they just pause in silence, that awkward silence. And you're wondering, what am I supposed to do right here? I think he just kind of pauses and he lets it sit out there, the weight of what they've done. And you know what I think he's wanting them to do? He's wanting them to turn to him and turn to God in repentance. Because the last time they were at Mizpah, that's what they did. The last time they were at Mizpah, they, they recognized we've been wrong. We, we, we need to trust God. They repented of their sins and they turned back to God. And I think Samuel, I think as he gathers them up at Mizpah, just as he had done in the past and they, they repented of their sins and they turned back to God. I think that's what was his hope. Maybe today they'll see the error of their ways. Maybe they'll begin to understand that they're not just adding to God. Maybe they'll begin to understand today that it's not just about having a little bit of the world in their life. Maybe they'll understand today that they're truly rejecting God and they'll turn to God in forgiveness and repentance. But there's nothing. Samuel says, you've rejected God. And he waits and he waits and nothing. And then he says, all right, everybody line up. That's the way it's gonna be. Everybody line up. Everybody out of the pool. Party's over. Line up. See, because we look at this and, and we think they all of a sudden know that he's about to appoint a king. This is why it's so good to read the narrative as if you don't know the end of the story. Because if you look at this, I looked at this again. I tried to say, boy, am I missing this? Samuel doesn't tell them why he's getting them lined up. They don't know that he's about to appoint a king. He just says, everybody gather up by tribes and by families. And I think in my mind, this brought back a memory. Do you remember another time previously in the book of Joshua? When Joshua lines up all of them by tribes and by families. Do you remember that? There's a guy 
who they went into battle and said, you don't take any of the loot of victory. You don't take any of that. There was a guy who took some of it and hid it. And Joshua knew something wasn't right. And he says, everybody line up. We're going to get in families and tribes. We're going to go through this. We're going to find out. And that wasn't a good deal, was it? Them lining up according to tribes and families was an act of judgment. God's going to find out who's a sinner, who, who, who's brought this sin upon us. And so you know what I think? I think when Samuel says, all right, everybody line up. Get in families and groups. That's what you want. Here we go. You know what I think? They're thinking, we're in big trouble now. We're in big trouble now. And they cast lots. And, and we, we read scripture. I don't know about you, but as I read this, there's a part of me that always is like, that's so strange, casting lots. In fact, in my mind, it almost sounds profane if I'm not careful because I'm like, I think of rolling dice. I'm like, man, what are we doing rolling dice in scripture? This, but but you, you need to know that that was God's prescribed means for them to discern his will at that point. In fact, it'll, casting lots will be used all the, all the way up until they have to replace Judas with Matthias. And so they'd have the umen and thumen and the, the, the breastplate, the, the priest would use it. And I don't know exactly, a lot of commentators kind of speculate on what, I don't know, but somehow it was a way of saying, not that, not that tribe, this tribe. Not, not that family, not that family, not this family. Now they go through the individuals and they, they narrow it down. And it was God's way, whenever there was a casting of lots, it was God's way of saying, I make the call. Casting of lots was a demonstration of God's sovereignty. I'm sovereign over this, and I want the nation to know this. I want them to see it, that I, when it comes to choosing somebody, I make the call, and I know everything. And so they narrow it down, and can you imagine it? They're not that individual, not that individual. Saul, son of Kish. Saul, son of Kish. Saul. Where's he at? Where'd Saul run off to? And they can't find him. Now, if you read this, to some extent, as I read it, and, and the nation's probably thinking, the last time we did this, somebody got stoned. You think, well, maybe Saul was scared to death, because I don't, that didn't end well for Achan. And there's a lot of ink that's been spilled on the part of a lot of commentators to try to tell us, you know, why, why did Saul hide? Why was he hiding? Um, I'm not going to recount all the theories. I'll just give you the correct one. So you got that. And, uh, there are some who view this as an act of humility. Um, that Saul is humble. And uh, in fact, Matthew Henry, I think his quote is that, that, that greatness is like a shadow the more you run from it, the more it chases after you. And so he, and I admire Matthew Henry, I've relied upon him a lot in his interpretation of these passages, but I disagree. Because the fact of the matter is, if you study Saul's life, never, really, at no occasion do you ever see this guy demonstrate a lot of humility. In fact, the, 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 the overriding characteristic that you see in Saul's life is he's a guy who is always reluctant, always hesitant to trust God. He was a guy who was always, he'd see, this is a guy who wouldn't know what God said. God would tell him directly through Samuel, this is what's going to happen. And then he wouldn't trust. 
He had so much difficulty just trusting God, just, just placing his faith in God and acting on what God has clearly revealed. And certainly we understand there was not a lack of knowledge here. Has God told Saul that you're going to be king? Yes, Samuel's already anointed him as king. God has given him three affirming miracles. You're going to be king. And here the moment comes. And Saul knew the lot was going to fall to him. He knew that. And yet in that moment, he's not going to step up to the occasion. He'll run and he'll hide. And there's those who will say, well, well, yeah, but if he'd have stepped up and said, yeah, I'm the man, that would have been a demonstration of arrogance. But that's not true because we wouldn't say that of David. Do you remember David in a similar fashion? He's been anointed privately. And then the moment, one of the moments of his life comes where there's a Goliath, a giant who's taunting the armies of God. And David doesn't run and hide in that moment and say, well, I'm not big enough. I can't handle him. I'm such a weak person. There's no way. No, what does David do? He runs to the battle. And David wasn't arrogant. David was just really confident in God. And you know what I see here? I see in Saul, listen, this is not humility. This is a coward. He knows what God has said, and yet he's always Fearful to step out and trust God in his clearly revealed word. It's so important for us. In fact, this is, uh, as I was studying this passage, this was the place that probably brought greatest conviction to me. Because I know in my life there's been instances and situations where I know what God called me to do, what God wanted me to do. And I didn't do it. And I used Listen to me, I used humility as an excuse for my own cowardice. Listen, we gotta be very careful. God has called us to be humble. God has called us to be humble, but God did not call us to be cowards. And when we know what God has clearly revealed, when we know what God has clearly said, it's not arrogant for us to step up to the moment and trust God and to be bold for him. Oh, so many people are hiding behind the baggage of their life in their fear and then they're disguising it as humility. And certainly that, I feel that was the way with Saul. He's hiding. Well, look with me further on. Look at verse 22. It says, therefore they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, behold, he's, he's hiding himself by the baggage. So people say, wait, wait, it, it, Saul sent a kid, where, where's he at? Wait, God, has he not shown up yet? And God says, no, he's over there hiding behind the baggage. And it's laughable. It's intended to be funny. He's the biggest guy in the nation. He's had to hide behind some baggage. There he is. What does it say in verse 23? So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, and this is another moment where I'd love to have been there. Because the way I picture this Samuel says this with a grin on his face. I, I picture this as Samuel saying, you see the, the one the Lord's chosen? There he is. <laughs> like him, dragging him out from the baggage. I'll tell you this much, and nobody like this guy. Here he is. The answer to your prayers. 
All your dreams fulfilled in this coward who's hiding behind baggage. It's intended to be laughable. This is what you wanted. This is what you prayed for. And the people, they see his stature, they see his height, they see his size. What do they say? Long live the king. Long live the king. You know, the, 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 the ironic thing about this, comparatively speaking to others of his day, Saul will really not live that long of a life. And what Saul is going to learn and what this nation is going to have to learn, the really, they're, they're gonna have to learn it the hard way. So many of the lessons of life, we have to learn the hard way. Sometimes by God giving us what we think we want. And we get it. And what God is teaching this nation and what I believe in so many ways he's teaching us is, listen, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how handsome you are. Doesn't matter how beautiful you are. Doesn't matter how powerful. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. Smartest person on the face of the earth. Great economist. Wealthy status. But if you do not have a foundation of faith in God, your life will crumble and fall ultimately. It'll fail at the things that matter the most. And that's what we're going to see as Saul. You want a guy who's physically impressive. They didn't ask for a godly man. They didn't ask for a man who was a servant. They didn't ask for a man who loved the word. They asked for an impressive man. God says, you got it. And you know what you're going to learn? Physical appearance doesn't matter. Because you can take a man, they're gonna learn this with the second king, you can take the run of the litter. You can, you can take a guy who doesn't look physically impressive, who has no real power, who has no real wealth, doesn't have any real intelligence, and not even a high school education. But if that individual has a foundation of faith in their life, they will succeed in the things that matter. God will be on their side. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, last night I told the church I was studying this and I had gone back. I, uh, my Spotify list, it plays randomly sometimes and it picks up, isn't it crazy how it picks up on the songs you like? And it's reminding me that I'm getting old because I, I saw a song that was, I had to go look when it was made. It was made in the late 90s. I thought, well, that's just a couple of years ago. That's not that long ago. But uh, you remember a song by a big tent revival called Two Sets of Joneses? where it recounts these, uh, oh goodness, now I'm on the spot, I'm gonna forget all of it. Uh, but uh, this here's a story about two sets of Joneses, Rothschild, Evelyn, Reuben, and Sue, and just for discussion through random dis uh, selection, we've chosen two couples who haven't a clue. Uh, Rothschild was lucky to marry so wealthy, Evelyn bought him a house on the beach. Reuben and Sue, they got nothing but Jesus. And at night they would pray that he'd care for them each. Uh, Evelyn's daddy was proud of young Rothschild. <laughs> Worked the late hours to be number one. Just newly married, their marriage got rocky. He's flying to Dallas, she's having a son. Uh, Reuben was holding a Gideon's Bible and he screamed, it's a boy! so that everybody heard. And the guys at the factory took up a collection. And again, God provided for bills they'd incurred. 
and the rains came down, and they blew the four walls down, and the clouds they rolled away, and one set of Joneses was standing that day. You know the picture there? If you have a foundation in Christ, listen, you got a firm foundation. It doesn't matter whatever else you have. You have the foundation rock of Jesus Christ, and he won't let you down. But if you don't have him, it doesn't matter what else you have. You're broke when it comes to the things of God. They wanted it, they got it. Samuel then told the people the ordinances of the kingdom. We don't have time this morning. Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14, the ordinances of the kingdom. Uh, God wrote them down for them. That the, When they have a king, these are the, these are the things that God said. Because they want a king like the nations. You know what God says? You're not going to have a king. I'm going to give you a king, but he's not going to be like the nations. Because your king, you know what it says to the king they're going to have? It says he's not going to multiply horses. Meaning his strength will not come from a large army. I'm not going to allow him to, to have a large army because then he'll get arrogant and think that the only reason he's powerful is because he's got a, a large army. He's not going to multiply wives. He's going to be a faithful man. He will not be an immoral man. And he's not going to be relying upon his children. He's going to have to rely upon, rely upon me. He's not going to multiply silver or gold. I'm not going to let this guy get overly wealthy. If he gets overly wealthy, he won't rely upon me. And then it says he's going to write the law of God out every day. I'm going to make him have a daily quiet time. And he's going to write it out in front of the Levitical priest and make sure that he does it. And then it tells you why. So that his head will not be lifted up above his countrymen. He's going to read the law of God every day to be reminded that he's subservient to me. You know what God was telling Israel? You're king. He's not autonomous. He's not absolute. He doesn't set the law. He enforces the law. And every time he reads the law of God, he's going to be reminded, you're not that great. You're a sinner, and I'm the ultimate king. Isn't that amazing? God was going to set this thing up. Now, now Israel's not going to do real well with it. Because uh, David will end up having multiple wives and, and Solomon will be far worse than that. And he'll start multiplying horses and they get off track really quick. But the ideal was a, was a man who depended totally on God, was faithful to God, was faithful to the word. And saw himself as just another person who laid down his life for the welfare of the nation. Isn't that a pretty powerful picture of what you want in a leader? Wouldn't we say we'd vote for that guy? The guy who understands they are under God. The person who says, I don't rely upon my wealth, my military, but we rely upon the presence of God in our life and we're obedient and we see ourselves as a servant. See, the, 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 the person that that was supposed to picture before them was King Jesus. That every king Israel was to have was to be a shadow of the ultimate king who would come, King Jesus. So that's gonna be the standard. Now, after Samuel reads those ordinances, it creates a division. Look at verses 26 and 27. Saul also went to his house at Gibeah. Samuel sends him away. So Saul also went to his house at Gibeah. And the valiant men whose hearts got a touch went with him. But certain worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. But he kept silent. So there's a division. You've got two real reactions. You have people, men who are men of valiant. They're, they're valiant men. They're courageous men. They're bold men. And God touches their hearts. And you have other individuals that said, how in the world can that kind of king save us? And they despised it. And what was the difference 
What was the dividing line? The dividing line was the standard by which God set for the king. And there's some valiant men. I picture these valiant men. They're probably soldiers in that area of Mizpah. And it says God touched their hearts. Valiant, courageous men. Listen, do we need today some courageous men? Do we need some valiant men who are willing to be bold and stand up for God, but also at the same time, men who have hearts that are sensitive to God, who are touched by God, who have his heart? I was talking with the man in our church this, this weekend, and he was seeking to lead his family well through kind of a family crisis. And, and man, he was going against his his. his uh, Outside of his immediate family, some of the other family members didn't necessarily agree with the direction that he was going, and yet he clearly felt like this was what God was calling him to do, and so he was seeking to be strong and lead his family, but at the same time, his heart was grieved, and as he shared with me, seeking to be strong and courageous, he, he, even as we prayed, he began to weep, and I thought, this is the kind of men that God is looking for. Bold and strong, but still sensitive to the things of God. Strong as steel, but hearts that are sensitive to God. And so there's some individuals, God opens their eyes and they say, that's the kind of king I can follow. I can follow that kind of guy. And God has to open, the, God has to touch their hearts. Because let's be honest, in many ways, this is not the kind of king that people look for. And so God opens their eyes. They say, we'll go. And then another group says, no way. How can a guy who's, I'm not going to follow some king who has to kowtow to God. Who's subservient. I want a king that's autonomous, who's bold, who does whatever he wants to do and leads us. And they despise us. How in the world can a king like that save us? When we come to the end, what's the point of all this? Now here's the point. For both the nation, for Saul, for us, the question is, who ultimately is your king? Who's your king? Wouldn't it be great if we could find a king who's perfectly true, who's the embodiment of truth? Wouldn't it be great if we could find a king who's always faithful? Wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be great if we could find a king who's referred to as the beloved son of God and whom the father is well pleased? Wouldn't it be great if we'd get, we could get a king who was so great that he would leave his throne, leave his palace, live among the people and love the people so much that he would lay down his life for them and die for them and defeat the grave for them and deliver them, not just so from some earthly kingdom, not just from, from, from some earthly enemies, but somebody, a king who was so great and through his death, he could deliver them from sin, Satan, and death and promise them eternal life with the Father. Wouldn't it be great if we could find that king? I'm here to tell you, we found him. His name is King Jesus. And he still divides to this day, does he not? There's some God touches their hearts. And their eyes are opened to follow a lamb. To follow a man who came and died. And died for their sins and died for their place. And in his resurrection, he defeated sin, Satan, and death. 
And this one who died, we love him. And we cherish him. And then there's another group of people out there. Listen, when it comes to Jesus, there are very few people who sit on the middle ground. Either your eyes are opened and you love Jesus, or on the other side of it, you, you despise him. Are you kidding me? You're telling me I gotta trust in a king who died and then I gotta admit that I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself and the only way to have salvation is to trust in a guy who died on a cross? As I was studying that, even this morning, um, when it says here that they, some despised him, I thought of one of the verses of a great hymn, oh, that old rugged cross. So despised by the world. Isn't that amazing? The cross of Christ. Christ divides. So despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it on dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday That old rugged cross, I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to his home far away, where his glory I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday Father, we come before you this morning. We're so grateful that you have loved us. You have always been faithful. You have loved us when we didn't love you. You've been faithful when we weren't faithful to you. God, I pray this morning that we would never reject you as king. For those of us that do know you who have bent the knee to King Jesus today, I pray that we would we would bow to no other. That Christ would reign supreme in our hearts. That we'd seek to add nothing to him. 
we would have hearts that would say whether we have much or have nothing. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. No matter what we have, no matter what we lose, as long as we have Jesus, we have everything. I pray, King Jesus, you would be the king of our hearts. We would obey you. God, when you call us, that we would be bold, never shrinking back in fear, knowing that without faith it's impossible to please you and that the one who comes to you must believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who trust you and seek you. God, I pray that we be a people who trust you regardless of what it costs us. We trust in you and you alone. And God, for those of us that maybe are here in this room watching online that do not know you, God, I pray that you would move in their hearts today. Touch their hearts. I thank you, God. You're a God who's personal. Just as it was with these valiant men. You touch them individually. You touch their hearts. God, I pray that there's some that are in this room or watching online right now. God, you would touch their heart through a supernatural means by your Holy Spirit and by your word, would you touch their heart? Would you open their eyes to the beauty of King Jesus? I pray they'd be so overwhelmed by his love and his grace that they would lay down their life today in repentance and faith and they would know the joy of walking with King Jesus. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.